Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. So excited to be finally back in person. My family is away on vacation just before March break. And then last week we had our our typical or traditional reunion rest week so that everyone could just relax and engage with God at home or with their friends. But we are back and I'm super excited to be back in person with you. And I just wanted to take a moment, I know it was kind of interesting during our in-person that I would speak to our online crew, but we do have an online crew. We have a bunch of people who do listen to the podcast every week who have not yet, or maybe in some ways cannot be with us on Sunday mornings. But I just wanted to invite you, if you're listening online, to come to an in-person gathering during Holy Week. And so we've got Palm Sunday coming up next week. We're going to have a a little event on my house for Maudie Thursday. And then we, of course, we have Good Friday. And um, of course, we're going to have Easter Sunday. And I know that some people listening online, you've got some some reasons why you haven't made that jump yet to in-person, to even check us out in person and see what we're all about. Uh, But I would really like to invite you to do that. Take a risk with us. I think we're safe enough. I actually believe we are. But we're going to take your risk seriously. And so if you'd be willing to come and check us out in person during some of these gatherings, we're going to we're going to take it seriously. We're going to love you and create a safe environment for you to, to be you uh, as we worship together. And so, yeah, take the risk. If you're, if, for all of you listening or in person here right now, if you've got friends that you'd be considering inviting to some of these events, because Easter is still one of those, even in a increasingly post-Christian community, it's still one of those uh, times during the year where people are a little bit more acutely aware of some stuff going on internally or externally and looking for a place, a safe place, especially to maybe process that stuff. But we're in our fourth week of fasting, so let me jump right into that with a little bit of a story about a friend of mine who works at a large law firm in Toronto. His name is James and he's an expert in financial law and he's very good at his job. A few years ago, the firm was adding new clients, which meant new responsibilities and opportunities, aka promotions. My friend, however, refused to throw his name into the hat because he knew his strengths, but was even more acutely aware of his weaknesses. He was very good at one area, and no matter how much his family and friends knew he was capable of learning more, the idea of taking on new challenges, well, he wouldn't. He believed he couldn't. Well, one day, James arrived to work as usual an hour or so before it was expected to be surprisingly greeted by a partner at his desk. James, would you please come and join me in the office for a moment? A few of us would like to speak with you, the partner asked. Well, didn't really ask. So James took a deep breath and and tried to relax as they made their way to the corner office where inside two more managing partners welcomed them. Right away, one bluntly turned to James and said, Why haven't you shown any interest in our new clients and opportunities? James, a little bit caught off guard, went on to tell his bosses the same reasoning he'd been telling himself and us, but he was quickly cut off. James, stop, one of the partners said. We know these things about you, but we want you to be responsible for these new clients. Yes, you're not skilled specifically in these needed areas, but considering your abilities, your track record, in hand with the skills we will teach you, you will excel. This is not just an opportunity, James, but more importantly, your responsibility. That day, as news spread through the firm, James had received the coveted uh, position. Comments were made by co-workers and by friends that he wasn't ready. 
that he wasn't capable, had too much to prove, and would therefore fail. That evening, as we gathered in his home to celebrate, James continued to regret and concern himself with the task ahead of him. I can't do this. They, they got this wrong. What am I thinking? There's others better, more skilled, more capable. And all of us around the table did our best to confirm what his managing partners had already said, what we believed that, yes, you can. And for the next few weeks, under the pressure of his new position, James did what most people do when they're overwhelmed by a task. He stressed out. And he studied. He stressed out and he trained. He stressed out and he studied and he trained. He spent hours upon hours learning the skills his clients needed. And today, he continues to do what James has always done. What we all knew he could do, he excelled. In spite of the voices in his head and even, sadly, the voices around him, he has, he has done exactly what we knew he could because he exactly is who we knew he is. Have you ever been given the chance to do something bigger than well, at least what you thought was bigger than you. Maybe it was a job promotion like my buddy. Maybe it was a place on a varsity team or even the news that you'd be a father, a mother, a husband, or a wife. Being chosen to do something you're unprepared for, untrained in, or even unsure of is quite the humbling experience. Opportunities can be filled with stress and even the ridicule of others who wish they were you or could simply never believe in you. The voices of others are certainly hard to hear, not to mention the ones inside of our own heads saying, no, not you, certainly you can't. I love the Bible. I love it because it's filled with stories of unlikely people getting uncommon invitations to take part in the mission of God, something certainly bigger than them. The mission of God? Yes, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are on a mission to love the hell, the broken, the decaying, the destruction, and dying, and everything that causes it out of creation, out of humanity. The mission of God is one of complete restoration. And this is no small invitation. And when we read the Bible, when those invitations came, how did most of the biblical characters react? Just like James. They all freaked out. Most of them said, why me? You've got this wrong. You've made a mistake. But in the midst of their uncertainty and doubt, they prepared because if you know you're going to be put into a situation bigger than you, you do your best to get ready. But the people of God prepared not by reading more, not by studying more, or even practicing more. When Moses was called up to the mountain to enter into covenant between Israel and God, this is a big deal. It's an overwhelming experience. What did he do? He fasted. When Elijah was called to keep going as God's prophet, to keep speaking in the midst of his, like, his own personal depression, in the midst of his own personal doubt, what did he do? How did he prepare? He fasted. When the New Testament church wondered, how are we going to be the church? It's a big question. It's a big invitation. How are we going to manage this explosive growth? How are we going to be a part of this Gentile anointing? These are huge questions. How did they prepare? They fasted. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus because at his inauguration, the start of his ministry, as conflicting voices battled, how did he prepare? He fasted. In each moment, I believe they did so because, and here's our big bottom line, if there's one thing I want you to hear this morning about fasting, it's this. Fasting silences the voice of our critics and magnifies the voice of God. Fasting silences the voice of our critics and magnifies the voice of God. Let me explain and give you some reasoning why I believe this is true from Matthew chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to pick a little bit from Luke chapter 4 as well. 
But it says this in, uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3. In verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now, for it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Let's just pause for a second. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I just want to reiterate some stuff about righteousness and why we baptize. Righteousness means to have a right relationship with God. It means a statement of saying, I am in right relationship with God. And so in this moment of Jesus' baptism, God is inviting or saying, now is the time, Jesus. Now is the opportunity for you to begin what you've been called to do. Now is is my invitation for you to start. In order for Jesus to say, yes, or I am in right relationship, he's going to be baptized as a statement of his yes. I'm going to baptize as a statement that I am accepting, not that just God is calling, not just that God is inviting, not that God is saying, but I am going to respond with my yes, that I am in right relationship. I am saying yes in right relationship to God, to the invitation in the statements. And so that's what baptism is for us as believers that we, bapt- we get baptized to say, yes, God is choosing me. Yes, God is inviting me. Yes, God is in- asking me to participate. And I'm saying, yes, I'm in, r- yes, I'm in right relationship with God. Does that make sense? We'll talk more about this. But if you're here this morning, and you're like, hey, that sounds interesting. I've never said a public yes. Then this spring, we're going to have a baptism service. And we would love for you to say yes. We would love for you as a believer, as an adult, as somebody or almost an adult, somebody who can say that for themselves to stand up and say yes. So when we come back to the story, it says, well, then of course John consented. In verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove settling on him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What a profound statement. What a life-changing statement from heaven into earth. And I think, and again, this is my this is my thinking, I think this profound statement was made not so much for the benefit of the crowds, but for the benefit of the body, the mind, the soul, and even the person of Jesus. I believe that God knew that Jesus needed to hear God's view of him before the mission before the miracles, before the crowds cheered, and eventually many would jeer. God says to everyone, but more importantly, he is saying to Jesus, this is my son. I love him. And just so you know that I'm very pleased with him. Before Jesus does anything, he's given or he's reminded of his identity in God. How often is our identity wrapped up in what we do? Our jobs, our our positions, our roles in the home or community? Who are you is a question we ask all the time, and it's, a, it's an answer that we often give in regards to what I do. But here God wants to show or remind Jesus his identity isn't wrapped up in what he does, but in who God says he is. Before you begin your doing, Jesus, I need you to know who I think you are, who I say you are. And so as Jesus prepares for his ministry, this obviously massive partnership with God for the sake of the world, he responds to this mission And he responds to this identity-giving statement by preparing, by fasting. Jesus prepares for what he's called to do by solidifying in his own mind 
who God says he is. You see, it's one thing to be told you're worthy. It's one thing to be told that you're good or loved. It's another to believe it. And I believe Jesus breaks away from the noise and the voices of the world to steep in the voice of God who confirms during those 40 days again and again, this is who I say you are, my beloved son. I love you and I'm pleased with you because fasting silences the voice of our critics and magnifies the voice of God. And so before the mission begins, Jesus' identity must be confirmed, not by God, but for Jesus. This is what God says about me, and I hear it, versus this is what God says about me, and I believe it. And this is so crucial for Jesus, and I believe for us as we as well, because after 40 days of of fasting and praying and preparing for the mission and the, the ministry of God, the story in Matthew chapter 4 says the adversary arrives as a voice. We'll dig more into the specifics of the temptations in our tables this week, so please come prepared to do that. But this morning, I want to highlight the opening two lines of each of the, or the opening line of the two temptations. It's the main needle point and tactic of the adversary when it comes to Jesus, and I honestly believe all these years later when it comes to us. The voice says to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 and 6, listen to this. If you are the Son of God, the first Recorded words spoken to Jesus after God's beautiful identity-forming statement, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased, is the voice of another saying, if you're the son of God, aka, prove it. Prove it because I don't believe it. If you're the son of God, prove it because it's not true. Prove it because you're not really. If you're the son of God, prove it because you're not ready. Prove it because people need you. Prove it because they won't believe you. If you're the son of God, prove it. If you're the son of God, I can hear the diction as snarky, critical, distracting, and destructive. The tempter came as a voice that sought to tear down what God was already confirming, had already, in fact, confirmed. If you're the son of God, prove it. Now, I don't know how many of these words are from the adversary and how many come from the voice of, in Jesus' own head, but the temptation is still the same. You're not who God says you are. You can't do it. He doesn't love you already. You need to, therefore, prove it, earn it, show it. If you're the son of God, did you ever hear those voices? Do you ever whisper those words in your own head or hear them creep into your thoughts from another place? Sadly, maybe even other people. You're not good enough, worthy, capable. You're certainly not called. You aren't ready. And if you think you are, prove it. I don't know about you, but I can presume that some of you sense this because after 15 years of being a pastor, this is the number one reply I often hear from people in regards to this Christian walk and their willingness to persist, to participate in the mission of God. I'm not ready. I can't do that. God didn't call me, would never call me, certainly invite me. And I'm just me. Henry Nouwen says this, Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core of our existence. And yet for many Christians, this idea of partnering with God to bring the kingdom of heaven into a breaking world is certainly too much, too personal, too impossible because Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not enough. I don't have the skills, the maturity, the gifts. And many find themselves sitting around tables discussing the ministry of Jesus without finding their place within the mission of Jesus. 
But listen to the story because Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, is attacked by the voices that sought to deter him, sideline him, and even stop him. But fasting silenced the voice of his critics and magnified the voice of God. Every single time the adversary attacked, Jesus responded with the words of God. Jesus didn't feel the pressure to prove himself, only the confidence to speak God's truth. I know who I am and this is what God says. As much as I need food, I need God more. As much as they want spectacle, they need to trust God. As much as the world's way might work, God's way will win. I love in Luke's account, we read that Jesus went into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit, but came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. The transition we see in Jesus is the confirmation and resolution in his identity, not for God, but for himself, because fasting silenced the voice of his critics and magnified the voice of God. And the critics' voice, they didn't end when Jesus walked out of the desert. Luke tells us the very next story, that after Jesus comes out of the desert, he goes back to Galilee only to be uh, attacked by his community. This is Joseph's son? Another critical voice. In Mark chapter 3, we've, we've discussed this many times as a community, that Jesus' own family comes in, tries to stop him, but he can't stop, won't stop, because he knows who he is, and therefore knows what he's meant to do, what he's called to do. He believes in God, but he's also come to a point where he believes in himself. That season of fasting for Jesus silenced the voice of his critics and magnifies the voice of God, and he never looked back. Our lives as apprentices of Jesus are to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, in order that we would do what Jesus did. That's a big calling. That's a really big invitation, and it's yours. We are apprentices of Jesus. We are set apart, called out, and called forth into partnership with God on this mission of complete restoration. Where hell is harming Belleville, Sterling, the county, our homes, our streets, our very own lives, that's where we're called to engage fully. And that's not a small invitation. It's bigger than we are, and I'm so thankful that we've been invited by an even bigger God. God doesn't call us to do little things by ourselves, but significant things in Christ. So good news, the church is bigger than you. The church is bigger than me. And for every invitation we get to join the movement of the Holy Spirit in our city, there's going to be as many voices saying, you're kidding me, right? You, that group, that church, come on. And if you're called, really, prove it. Prove it, come on. And I pray that as a church, a part of the body of Christ in this city, we will be so secure in our God-given identity that we won't sit on the sidelines deterred by the critical voices of the accuser outside or within. I pray that we will trust and feel no pressure to prove anything. There's this fun little old statement. Some would say it's a cliche, and I, I, I don't know if I'd call it a cliche. I hope it's not. I, I actually, I, I know it's not. But it says this, God does not call the equipped, God equips the called. I love that. God does not call the equipped, God equips the called. So reunion, you are called. Reunion, you have been identified. Reunion, you have been invited to not just speak about Jesus, but to join the mission of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit right now, just as you are. God believes in you. Do you believe in yourself? Fasting silences the voice of our critics and magnifies the voice of God. So this week, as we fast together... I've provided, and it's going to be in our email this week, Um, so if you haven't signed up for that, make sure that you go to our website and sign up for the the mailing list, but I'm going to send it out uh, tomorrow morning 
because I provided a prayer sheet highlighting what God says about you in Scripture. Jesus responds to the adversary with Scripture, and we're going to as well. So this week as you fast, you're going to be invited to read through that list and grab a a hold of one or two, or honestly, as many statements as, as you need to that tug at your heart and pray them over yourself. See, you're not praying for God to make these statements true because they are. You're praying that you might accept these statements as true in you. You are an apprentice of Jesus the Christ, called out, set apart to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did as we partner with the divine mission of loving restoration. And fasting, it's going to silence the voice of the critics and magnify the voice of God. God has called you. You are a reunion. You are the church. But do you believe it? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in yourself? We started this morning with Rebecca asking, who are you? And that's how we're going to end. Who are you? And what do you sense you might be called to do? What are you doing right now? And how might the voices in your head or around you deter you, defeat you, or even try to destroy you, to keep you from moving forward? With all the many voices saying, not you, I pray that you'll always hear God saying, yes, you, my child, I love you, and I am very pleased with you. As we spend a couple of moments in reflection now, what is God saying to you and how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.